0: Well, if we haven't met, my name is Cole. I am one of the pastors here at Frontier Church. If if there is one thing that we have noticed as the Christmas seasons have come our way and left, it's that for everybody in this building, Christmas feels, I guess, it feels different. For some of us, they are sweet memories. For Others of us, they're painful memories, and so one thing that we wanted to do this year for the Advent season was, as each week rolled in, was we wanted to have one of the pastors read a pastoral letter over all of you. And so you've got me this morning, Um, and so as I've been praying and thinking about you guys this week and writing a letter, here's what the Lord brought to mind. Dear church, I'm praying that this year the Advent season leaves a real and profound mark on your walk with Jesus. Personally, for the last few years, this season has been one of the richest and most enjoyable seasons for the Dikey household. One reason, the the primary reason, uh, is because my wife Chloe is awesome and she does an amazing job helping our family just worship together uh, and putting together some fun and enjoyable practices into place that really light up the eyes of our kids. We light candles together, we sing Advent hymns together, mostly just go tell it on the mountain because the kids like that, and they like to sing it in a regular version, and then a whisper version, and then a silly voice version. So we do lots of go Tell It on the mountain at the Dikey household this time of year. We do Advent reading calendars together. We ring an Advent bell, all the cheesy stuff. And, of course, we do all these things imperfectly, but for us it's really become a season that I look forward to every year, um, which is kind of strange because when we launched Frontier Church, All the way back in 2016, we actually didn't practice the season of Advent together as a local church for the first year. A lot of that was because we had our heads buried in the challenge of just surviving each Sunday. And so Christmas, Sunday, that first year really kind of came around as a surprise to us. But in our second year of Frontier Church in 2017, we could finally catch our breath. And so we mapped out our first Advent season together. Um, And as a young church, we weren't exactly sure how well a historic practice of the church would be received. Like, what the heck does the word Advent even mean? Right now, we're gathering at a a jazz club in downtown Des Moines. We didn't know how Advent was going to be received that first year. But nevertheless, we walked through the story of Jesus' first and second comings. We lit candles together. We sang Christmas hymns together. And after it was all said and done, we were amazed at how much our church loved it. Particularly, we were surprised by how much struggling young families and single adults were helped by the structure of the season and how that structure lent itself to developing meaningful, tra- meaningful traditions. And so, as one of your pastors, that's my prayer for you this season, that whether you're single, dating, married, married with kids, married without kids, that this season becomes a highlight that you look forward to every year as it points you back to the biblical story of the coming of Jesus, God made flesh. So, I pray that for those who are living under the thumb of depression and unrelenting sorrow, that God would let you see light this Advent season. That you would remember that you worship a God who doesn't always lift the fog of depression, but he did take on flesh and participate in human sadness with you. So may you not let the depression give way to cynicism. And may you guard your heart against the turning up of your lip at every jolly thing this Christmas season. Don't give an inch to cynicism this year. Do not permit the Christmas lights to drag you down. Secondly, for those of you who have children, I pray that this season is filled with memories this Advent season that are meaningful. Personally, when I look back at my own life and my own 35 years of memories on spool before me, I find that the Christmas season makes up a lopsided and asymmetrically large amount of my memories. It's probably true for you too. So as parents, know this. Know this and take care to leverage this season to tell the story of Jesus to your kids. Tell it while having fun. Light some candles, eat some sweets, establish traditions, sing loudly, laugh often because Christ has already won. And it might sound silly to do all of this in this present moment, But who knows what memories might come flooding back to your kids 16 years from now in college when they see a lit candle in a dorm room. So plant the seeds now. And lastly, I pray that for those of you who are at peace and are filled with joy, I pray that this season you would, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, take part in the great campaign of sabotage against the powers of cynicism. Because while the world is filled with brokenness and sorrow, you, because of Jesus, you are the light of the world. Be that. Be that this year. Be the light of the world. Invite people over to your dinner table. Know that the darkness trembles at the sound of an out-of-tune Christian singing loudly. Drink the eggnog to the very bottom of the glass to spite the devil. Defy the powers and principalities by wearing the Christmas sweater without embarrassment. String the Christmas lights in the front lawn without blushing. And though you be weary, though you be weary by the power of Christ Jesus made flesh, the weary world, it does rejoice because the world won't be weary forever, but it will rejoice forever. So know that. Love you guys. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would turn our eyes to Jesus this morning, to his first coming that happened 2,000 years ago and also to his second coming that is ever present and before us. And so we pray for Stephen this morning as he unpacks your word for us. May it build us up, bless us, and may it be one of the very many ways that you point us to Jesus this morning. Give us... Hope and give us peace, and don't let this thing catch on fire. In the name of Jesus, Amen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good prayer because we don't want this to light on fire. It's—I don't know if you can see this. It looks quite flammable. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> Jaron, you're probably on catch duty if something lights. Well, good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And there's probably like 10 of you in the room that have actually heard me preach before. So, I'm excited to be up here. Got my notes. Um, the real story of why I'm preaching this morning is because every Sunday at about 9.30... I walk in, or, you know, we come in and we do our little huddle, and Kale asks me if I'm going to preach that day. And for, I don't know, three or four years, every Sunday, I say, no, I'm not preaching today, Kale. You need to leave me alone. <laughs> and <notes. laughs> lots and lots of no's. And I just had to get that, uh, that monkey off my back. I had to get Kale to leave me alone. So that's why I'm up here. Um, I'm really excited. And, um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about that, but take it all in, because this is a rare occasion. So... Um, Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 54, 9 through 14. If you're able, please stand and let's kick it off by starting in the word. All right. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills, may, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of a gate your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. You can take a seat. The date was December 22nd, 2011, somewhere in Nebraska. I'm looking for Kylie Collins. Is she in here? Well, that's probably good because I'm going to kind of hit on Nebraska. Um, <laughs> December 22nd, 2011, Lauren and I are driving to Des Moines from our home in Denver, Colorado. We've lived in Denver for about six months at that time, and we've been married for about seven months. Um, At some point in our drive, we start discussing our plans for the next week. You know, it's the week of Christmas. We've got all this built anticipation and planning and, you know, seeing family and all that good stuff. Um, So we start discussing our plans for the next week. And I'm sure most of the decisions had already been made, been agreed to. But, like, for the sake of the story, just pretend, because I I really don't really remember any of the, the details of what we decided. But let's pretend that I had not already agreed to all the proposed scheduling. So... We're driving through Nebraska. I need to emphasize, we're still in Nebraska. Um, and I start asking about our plans and what we have going on. Um, and so we have day one with Lauren's immediate family. Little tradition we do with them every 23rd. Um, then we have Christmas Eve with my family. And then on Christmas Day, um, Christmas morning, I believe, um, we are driving to Illinois to spend time with her extended family. Um, Then we're going to drive back to Des Moines for like a night and then drive back to Denver, Colorado. Um, And it's good to know that I, um, I hate road trips. Um, I was scarred when I was a kid because like a good Midwestern family, my parents, we didn't ever fly anywhere. We just drove everywhere. Um, So I'd taken road trips to the West Coast. Um, we'd take road trips to see some family in the East Coast and the South. and um, So we'd done all these massive road trips. And I don't know. I'm, a li- I, I'm old enough that we didn't have DVD players. We didn't have—the I- iPad was not invented yet. We had—I um, ha- had a Walkman. Um, and one of these road trips, I had a Walkman, and I left—me and my brother, we left all of our CDs at home. So we, like, stopped at a gas station, and I— <laughs> I shouldn't say this. Um, my brother got a Boys to Men CD, and I got an Avril Lavigne CD. <laughs> and so, for a road trip to uh, to San Francisco, we had you could either listen to talk radio that was constantly on in the car with my parents, or I could listen to my Avril CD or my brother's Boys to Men CD. So um, I do know all the words to both of those albums, like without question, even today, still. Um, but anyway, so those are how road trips were. You know, they you know books, walkman, whatever it was. Some people love it. No, it was awful. Um, so I still hate road trips. Uh, and so anyway, we're, we're driving. We're driving on like a five or six day trip. We're driving from Colorado to Des Moines. And then I am surprised to find out that in the middle of this road trip, guess what? There's another road trip to Illinois, which is so exciting. Um, so I, I gently and patiently, obviously, I tell my wife, my new wife, uh, we've been married for or seven months at that point. Um, oh, and another good detail is that I also uh, told her that we were moving, Lauren's very family oriented. I told her that we were moving to Denver, Colorado because I was going to do grad school when uh, she had already agreed to marry me. So we were engaged and I said, guess what? We're moving to Colorado, and, um, which is not cool, but she did it, surprisingly. <laughs> um, so anyway, I told my new wife, you know, new newish wife, her we're moving to Colorado without really asking if we can move to Colorado. But so we're on our way back to visit family, and I tell her somewhere in Nebraska that um, actually I don't want to go to Illinois. Um, love your family, but I'm not really interested in making that trip. So like two days before we're supposed to go to Illinois, I say no, hard pass. Let's not do that. So, so Lauren, who's driving at the time, she gently reached over to my side of the car and uh, with a big smile, opened the door and pushed me out of the car on the interstate. That's not really true. She didn't do that. Um, That's probably what she wanted to do. But actually what she said was um, that if I didn't suck it up and go to Illinois and put on a smile and enjoy our big family get together, that she was probably going to kill me. Um, So, right? Yeah, she don't play. Yeah. Um, She said something like that. So, You know, this is probably a whole different conversation about expectations with family and holidays and all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, And really, I probably, I think the main culprit, the main person to blame is Nebraska in this scenario, but um, uh, yeah, Nebraska really ruined this trip. Um, But anyway, this is kind of a silly example of the kind of conflict that can kind of like spring up during the holidays, right? This is just a silly example. Usually there's, I mean, often there's much more complicated um, conflict that springs up around the holiday season or what we'd call the, the Christmas season. And um, I'm sure many of you have, uh, have stories where things like this have happened during the Christmas season. You have things that you want to happen during the season that don't end up happening. And then oddly enough, there's things that you really like never want to happen, that like always tend to happen right around the Christmas season, um, and it seems like we frequently experience an increased level of heartache during the christmas season i mean in in the two weeks that i 've been writing this sermon, my Facebook feed has been filled with um, filled with people experiencing like serious, serious suffering. I mean, it just like keeps popping up, and i couldn 't tell if it was because I was looking for it or if it, like it was actually just. Becoming more frequent. I really think it is. It just comes up. And um, it's like the hardest parts of life either decide to occur during December or, the, I mean, often they're put in the forefront of our minds during this season as well. Um, and we get stuck between dealing with this heartache or just pretending that everything is okay because it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Um, and I, I grew up with this, this kind of seasonal heartache in my own home as well. When I was a kid, when I was, I think, a little bit younger than my daughter, who's eight, I think I was six or seven, um, my grandfather died, like, December 20th, um, so my mom's dad. And very suddenly, he was young, he was, like, 60, 60, 60 years old, um, so very young. Um, and I was too young to really, you know, understand what was going on, and a lot of that is, like, being hidden from the heartache, you know, and stuff like that, but... Um, so I don't remember the details a lot, but I can remember the mixed emotions around the Christmas seasons and the like years after that of my mom and my grandma, like, um, you know, missing, missing my grandfather and like um, this cloud of loss kind of hovering over what's supposed to be such a joyous time. Um, and looking back on that situation in those years of heartache as the adult, now, I really just, I feel so bad. I feel like they felt so stuck and they didn't get a chance to grieve. Um, cause they didn't want to let it ruin Christmas. Um, and I get that intention, right? Like they don't want to put a downer on this joyful season, but like, hello, your husband died. Your, your father died. It's, it's okay to be upset. You don't have to shield everyone from that. Um, but instead of seeing the experience of grief, I saw the suppression of sadness and pretending to be happy because that's what the season expects. That's what the Christmas season expects. Um, a wise man, I wish he was here. A wise man once said that grief is a communion we take separately but eat and drink together. That was Will Bortz. Will Bortz is great. Um, uh, I've like, I, honestly, I, when I started writing this sermon, I, I, that like popped into my head. For, it's like two books ago. Anyway, um, grief is a communion we take separately but eat and drink together. And man, if there is anything in the world that sucks more than cold sweater today, it's that... People feel like they have to pretend to be happy when they're really, really miserable. Did you like that one? But, but Advent, here we go. This morning we're talking about conflict, peace, and how the Advent of Jesus shapes and changes how we engage with everything. I love Advent. If you know me, I freaking love Advent. Advent. I've, one, I've kind of alluded to this. I have one really good reason why I love Advent, and that's because the Christmas season, now here, I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm not talking about baby Jesus. I'm talking about the Christmas season. Overall, in public, even in private, in our city, in our homes, in the world, the Christmas season sucks. The Christmas season comes with all this baggage and all this pressure, now, this pressure does two things. It creates disappointment and it creates conflict. When I think about peace during the Advent season, I think about Jesus delivering us from the chaos and conflict of the Christmas season. Advent has everything you're looking for in the Christmas season, without any of the pretending and without everything pretending that everything is perfect. Advent actually tells us that even though Christ came and was amazing, beautiful, God made flesh, it tells us that God is not done yet, and we're still waiting, we're still watching for the Savior to come again. All the pain, all the sadness, all the things that we think we need to hide during this season, we can embrace those things, we can embrace the chaos, we can embrace the conflict because we still have have this hope for the second coming of Christ. Okay. Okay. That's kind of my thing about Christmas and Advent. I don't, need to, I don't have enough time to get into all of that today. Um, so let's get back to our main topic, which is conflict and peace. When I said I was talking about peace, Spade was like, you've got to make sure you bring up, uh, did you say Palestine? Yeah, Palestine. <laughs> um, so anyway, is anyone here that is unaware of the conflict in our world, right? Like, it's one of those things that has become such a normal part of our lives that we, we are like are almost unfazed by it. I think if I asked you, when I say the word conflict, if I asked everyone in the room, I'd get like a hundred different answers of what people think of when they think of conflict. Because we're going to talk, you know, you're going to think of things that are local, going on in our homes and our churches. But we're also going to think of things nationally, like Ukraine and Palestine, and Israel. Um, but we're going to, you're also going to think of things like this exciting election cycle that's coming up, right? We're going to have so much fun. Um, and, and like, even as I'm writing this sermon and I'm writing this sentence, like, I get a no- notification on my phone about another surge of COVID that was coming. So like, conflict is just all around us, right? And I don't really care what you think about COVID, whatever. Um, but it's just a conflict that we've dealt with, right? It's just one of those things. Um, conflict is everywhere, right? Locally, neighborhoods, homes, all around us. And I think we can fall into two traps when we think about this conflict and chaos in our lives. The first trap is to completely dwell on it. Let it overtake our minds and let it completely bury us in grief and despair. Because honestly, if we let chaos, the chaos in our world, that is very real, occupy our minds, it will cause despair, It will cause depression. I mean, do you know anyone like that? It might be, I'll skip that line. They might be watching Fox News or CNN, like the volume to 100, like all day, every day, right? Like, um, and I mean, I have people like that. In my lives, I don't know about you. I mean, okay, did you know that the average American watches TV for five hours a day? Like, that's crazy. Um, and just think if that was only news, like like politically charged news, like that may cause a little bit of, um, you know, despair, right? I think it would, that would for me. Um, so the first trap is to let conflict just totally overtake your mind. Or the second trap is, I think, just as bad, um, and that's to pretend that the conflict doesn't exist. And I think that's a trap we kind of find ourselves in a lot of times during, during the Christmas and Advent season. So that's to, to put our head in the sand and live as if the world is all sunshine and roses. And what's weird is that it actually may work for a while. It may work seasonally. It may work during the Christmas season to pretend that everything in the world is happy, go lucky, and fine. Um, you can find some happiness, put a smile on your face. But it, that smile's going to fade when you come face-to-face with this conflict that lies just under that surface. But it's also going to cause the people around you, this is another problem, it's going to cause the people around you Do you feel like they can't be authentic and real and embrace the, the, the difficulties that are in our world. They're not going to feel welcome to do that because you're pretending you're being, a, you know, everything's all good. And they may, they may decide to do the same. So they may feel compelled to put their heads in the sand for a little while, ignore pain, conflict, and the heartache that is going on in our world right now. And it's going to spread. It's going to spread around to people of them too. You know, it's just one of those things. So so how do we avoid these traps when it comes to conflict? Uh, I think we're going to have another verse. Isaiah 54, 10, which is one of our verses. Yes, Carl. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So how do we deal with this conflict in our lives? And that's by finding rest in the assurance of unity with Jesus Christ. That Jesus came, he brought salvation, he brought hope, he brought new life, but also that he's coming again. Jesus is coming back and his second coming, he will finish what he's already started. In verse 11, he says, O afflicted one, storm tossed and uncomforted, I, meaning the Lord, am going to build your foundation. I'm going to build your walls, build your gates. I'm going to build your foundation on something that will withstand all of life's chaos and all of life's conflict. And that is the promise of Advent. It's this peace that we're talking about this morning. Our foundation is no longer unstable, our foundation is no longer dependent on ourselves. God has built our foundation in Jesus Christ, coming to earth and reconciling us to God. So what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? The truth is that Jesus came and he is coming again, and it gives us peace within ourselves. Jesus offers us peace. I mean, peace might be one of the most misused and misunderstood words in, in our language. Peace is not ignorance. It's not pretending. Peace is full of presence and full attention peace, the peace that Jesus brings is covered in flesh and it's drenched in blood. Peace that transcends circumstances. It does not ignore circumstances, but we have peace no matter life circumstances. We can actually rest. Advent is... <laughs> <Are> you okay? <laughs> oh shoot. I don't know if you heard that. It was like a... um, I think we're okay. Yeah, she's okay. Um... Peace no matter life circumstances. Advent is our reminder that God is making all things new. God has promised to make all things new. And the second way that Jesus brings peace is in our relationships. All human relationships have some level of conflict. Jesus teaches us to have peace no matter the conflict around us. And as Christians, we don't have to fear the conflict that's in our world and in our relationships. We can, we can move towards the messiness in the conflict because we have an unshakable peace through Jesus. And the final and the most important way that Jesus brings us peace is that he brings us peace with God the Father. The incarnation of Jesus means that God came to be with his people. The God of the universe, the God that by his words holds all things together. Hebrews 1, that means every second of every day, every breath that you take happens because God is holding our very existence together by the power of his words. I mean, that's crazy. That's a sermon in it for itself in another day. Maybe if we go through Hebrews, you get me back up here, I'll preach about, I'll preach about that. It'll be fun. Um, this God sent his son to be with his people on earth to bring them back to him. God's peace at Christmas, God's peace at Advent, is that we have peace with God. It means that we have rest with God. It means that we abide with God. We abide in God. It means that we are secure and safe and home with God. We are already there, but also not quite yet. That's the great paradox of Advent. God is with his people, but also not yet to that fullest extent that he will be with his people. So during the Advent season, we celebrate and we mourn. We rest and we strive. We enjoy and we yearn. We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come we also sing, oh come, oh come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel. And we mean us. We don't mean just Israel before Christ. The song is not in remembrance of BC Israel. That song is about us longing for Christ to return. So how does that change the way we engage with each other during the Advent season? First off, God has given you peace. It is yours, yours for the taking. Rest in his promise that he is coming back. We can embrace the conflict, we can embrace the difficulty and the heartache around us because we know that Jesus is coming back. We have to stop pretending that everything in the world is perfect. I promise you that once you do, once you stop pretending, you will feel this weight being lifted off your shoulders that you really didn't know you were carrying. The season is hard, it's okay to admit that. If I scared you when I said the Christmas season sucks, that's okay, but it's okay to admit that, it is stressful. And the expectations are so high sometimes. But guess what? It's hard for the people around you too. And when you finally say enough, guess what? Your kids are going to thank you for it. Do you know what my kids want to do right now? Like every night during the Christmas season. They want to watch a stupid Christmas movie and they want to drink hot chocolate. Like they're like, this is the time. We get our hot chocolate, we get to watch a movie and that's like all they wanna do. So any of this additional stuff that we plan for our kids, you know, awesome, great, really fun, but like that's not what they're expecting. Like they love it obviously if we do it, but like my kids just wanna drink hot chocolate. So, and the people around you in your community, they're gonna notice when you say enough is enough too. And they might just join you in letting go of these expectations and the stress that it causes. So consider this. You refusing to choose conflict over peace, you choosing peace, you deciding to choose peace, it might invite your family and your friends to do the same thing, to let go of the conflict and the weight that's weighing them down and the pressure that they feel. How cool would that be? Your decision to stop striving for perfection during the Christmas season could cause a ripple effect of peace in our families, in our community, in our community groups, in our church, in our neighborhoods. I mean, come on. All right. Then I have a final challenge for you this morning, and that is to lean into the Advent, lean into Advent the last few weeks that we have left of this season. I have a quote. It's gonna be on the screen. Boom. Carl, man. Advent. Listen to this. Listen up. Advent. Advent is a season for prayer and reformation of our hearts. Since it comes at wintertime, fire is a fitting sign to help us celebrate Advent. If Christ is to come more fully into our lives this Christmas, if God is to become really incarnate for us, God with us, then fire will have to be present in our prayer. Our worship, our devotion, will have to stoke the kind of fire in our souls that can truly change our hearts. Ours is a great responsibility not to waste this Advent time. that's my last challenge. Don't waste this Advent season. Let your prayers burn like fire that can change and will change hearts. Celebrate this season as one of joy and one of longing. Jesus is coming back. This is when we celebrate, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are, for coming. And God, I thank you that you are coming again. What a great joy it is to celebrate you this season. Help us to be mindful of you and help us to truly desire peace. Amen.